So, 1 Samuel 24, verse 9, in your Bibles, once you've found that, please stand for the reading of the Scriptures tonight if you're so able to do that. 1 Samuel 24, verse 9 through 15. The Bible says, And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how the Lord had delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. And some bade me kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Know that... I know thou, and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in mine hand, and I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee, as saith the proverb of the ancients. Wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea, the Lord therefore be judge, and judge between me and thee, and see, and plead my cause, and deliver me out of thine hand. David here had every opportunity to kill Saul, who had been hunting him, pursuing him, chasing him, and he didn't do it. Uh, I would say that whether or not David uh, hated Saul, Saul hated David, and they had become enemies because of Saul's hatred. The title of the message tonight is this, Learning to Love Your Enemies. Learning to Love Your Enemies. Let's pray tonight. God, help us as we look through this passage. There's so much here uh, that you spoke to me about uh, in preparation for this message. I pray, God, that you would speak to each heart here. As I convey truth, would you convict the heart? And Lord, help us to leave here changed people. Uh, God, we live life long enough and eventually we rub... Uh, we, we have rubs with people, and sometimes those rubs can turn ugly, and sometimes enemies can be made, and there can appear to be irreconcilable differences. And uh, then, Lord, animosity and bitterness can begin to grow in our hearts toward people. And, Lord, you have commanded us to love our enemies. Help us tonight to not only understand it, but to see an example from David on how to put it into practice. Make the sermon practical for each one of us here, Lord, please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The Bible says about David that he was a man after God's own heart. That's what we've been looking at all year, a heart for God. And the reason why we're in First and Second Samuel on Sunday evenings is we're looking at David in action. His heart for God in action. What a statement uh, to make about anyone. To say, that man right there, that woman over there, they have a heart for God. Few passages in Scripture demonstrate the heart that David had for God, more so than 1 Samuel 24. David behaved himself toward Saul the way Jesus Christ behaved himself toward his accusers. David here in this passage has every opportunity to kill Saul and assume the kingdom. But instead... He showed respect toward the king. He showed trust in God. And he showed loyalty to truth. Just as Jesus had every opportunity to call down 10,000 angels, as the old song says, and, and be set free. And to have those who were crucifying 
put down. Uh, it was in the hand of Jesus, but instead Jesus tr- uh, uh, showed uh, respect uh, toward uh, political powers. He trusted in the God of heaven that His purpose be fulfilled, and Jesus showed loyalty to truth because He was truth. Where did David learn these behaviors? Where did David learn how to behave uh, so well? He learned them by spending intimate time in the presence of a holy God. He learned them by lining up his heart with God's heart. Oftentimes, I am amazed at the behavior of those who identify as Christians. I'm amazed. You see, we can say all the right things and, and give off the outward appearance that we love God. And, and uh, people who are looking at us from a distance say, that man there loves God. That woman there loves God. But when we act in direct contradiction to the heart of God, what we do is we prove that we really do not know God's heart and that God does not have our heart. Oftentimes, we act carnal while claiming to be Christ-like. We act carnal while claiming to be Christ-like. Take your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 5. And by the title, if you know your Bible at all, by the title you knew we were going to end up in this passage at some point. Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We're going to be in verse 43 and 44 here in a moment. Get your place there and just hang tight. The Christian life is the heart of God. Let me say that again. The Christian life is the heart of God. To be a Christian means that you act like Christ. And in order to act like Christ, you must have the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ. Uh, The heart of Christ must be what drives you. And so to be a Christian means that you have the heart of God on the matter. The heart of God dictates to us our behaviors and our spirit, both toward God and others. This is how we learn to love our enemy. We learn to love our enemy because we serve a Christ who loved his enemies and commanded us to do the same. Look at verse 43 and 44 of Matthew 5. Jesus taught here, he said, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That is a loophole-free verse right there. There is no one that that would fit outside of that auspice. If they are your enemy, if they're persecuting you, if they're despitefully using you, if they hate you, you're to pray for them, you're to love them. To have the heart of God is to love those that hate you. This requires an intense and true heart that is fully yielded to God. Frankly, the question is this, who in your life has hurt you deeply? Do you love them? Are you kind to them? Who in your life hates you? It's a handful of people that I love, I have no animus toward, I care deeply for. The feeling is not mutual. I love them. They don't love me back. I pray for them. It would appear they probably don't pray for me back. All right? Who hates you? Do you love them? Are you kind to them? David was a mighty warrior. 
When we come, uh, when we find him in chapter 24, we find a man that had won many wars, and he'd go on to win many other wars. But the greatest battle that David would win was not a military battle. It was a spiritual battle. Turn over to Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, quickly, verse 32. Some of you have had a long day, and you're tired, and uh, you're emotionally exhausted. After such an emotional service this morning, you, you raced home, and you ate, and then you took a nap. Uh, don't make the mistake of eating before you come to church, because then you have all the blood running to your stomach. Amen? I grew up going to church on Sunday evenings, and so for me, I'd go home after church, and I'd either get a bowl of cereal or a fried egg sandwich. And so uh, I'm just in the habit for 38 years of having a bowl of cereal or a fried egg sandwich every Sunday night after church. You want to know what Pastor Lejeune eats? Unless I'm going to a restaurant, if I'm going home, that's what I'm getting. Some of you came in tonight, you ate before you came to church, you're tired, and so we're going to turn to some passages to keep you awake tonight. Amen? Look at Proverbs 16, look at verse 32. The Bible says there, it says, He that is slow to anger. Let's read it together. You there? Let's read it together. Ready? Here we go. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. Oh, man, we could, we could uh, go a thousand directions with this verse. He that ruleth his spirit is greater or better than he that taketh a city. Uh, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. David had every reason, human reason, to be angry at Saul. David had every reason to kill Saul. As we'll see in a minute, he had Saul right where he wanted him. The greatest battle that, uh, that David ever won was not against the Philistine armies. The greatest battle that David ever won was not against Goliath of Gath uh, there uh, in the valley. The greatest battle that David ever won was a spiritual one because he controlled his spirit. He, he, he had a spirit that showed forbearance and love to his enemy. To those who are not under your purview of authority, God has not called you to judge or punish. He's called you to love. To love. God will punish wrongdoers. We are not to punish wrongdoers. God will punish wrongdoers. We are to show them the love of Christ. God has called us to love our enemies, not show vengeance toward our enemies. So let's, let's jump into 1 Samuel 24. We're going to back up to verse number 1. Let's go through the entire chapter. Let's look at four thoughts out of 1 Samuel 24 as we consider the vital Christian truths of learning to love your enemies. Now, quick sidebar, quick side note before I give you point one. Uh, most all of my outlines are original with me. I develop them. I write them. I come up with them. I labor over them. Uh, I came across the, now the content of the sermon tonight is mine, but uh, I came across this outline in a commentary, and so I just want to give credit where it's due. Point one, two, three, and four, not the A's and B's, but point one, two, three, and four, I got out of Warren Wearsby's commentary. So if you ever open up a commentary from him and you see this outline, yes, I'm borrowing it from him. Amen? All right. Give, so I, I just want to make sure I'm not being accused of, what's that called in school when you... There it is. You're smarter than me. Plagiarism. All right. It's got too many too many um, syllables for me to remember. Plagiarism. So um, I don't want to be guilty of that. All right. Let's jump in here. Point number one. Notice David's temptation. David's temptation. Look with me at verse number one, and uh, let's read down through verse four. It says, "And it came to pass when Saul 
was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 of the elites, 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel, and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats, by the way, uh, where was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of, of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy in thine hand, that thou mayest uh, do to him as it shall, shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. Chapter 23, which we were in last week, we saw how that uh, David was trapped by Saul. Saul had David trapped him, and, and, and right as he was closing in, right as he was going to kill him, word came that the Philistines were invading, and Saul had to pull his forces, and God spared David's life. So while Saul is out fighting the Philistines, David is relocating to a different wilderness, the wilderness of En Gedi. And in this particular wilderness, we know uh, from both looking at the current landscape and, and, and studying history that there were many caves all over the place. This is a place where many wild goats dwelled, and uh, there were caves, just many caves all over the place. So Saul squelched the invasion, and now he's gotten word from his network of spies that David is somewhere in the wilderness of En Gedi, and so he uh, picks 3,000 of the finest soldiers of Israel, and he goes to the wilderness of En Gedi in order to get Saul. Verse 3, look back at verse 3 there. It tells us what Saul was doing when he walked in the cave. It says that he was covering his feet. What does that mean when the Bible says that he was covering his feet? Now, when I was a junior high boy uh, attending a Sunday school class, uh, my teacher, who was just a big giant goofball, told me that covering your feet meant going to the bathroom. And he hammed it up and made it funny. And, uh, you know, when you're young and, and someone says something like that to you, you that, that leaves an imprint on you, and you think, well, is that really what he was doing? So when I revisited this passage, I, I did what any good pastor should do. I, I dug deep on this phrase, covering your feet. I needed to know what that meant. And I came up with two, uh, I, I came up with a split decision, all right? Some people say that covering your feet means taking a nap. And the hypothesis is that Saul uh, was tired from his journey and he made his way into a cave and he laid down and he took his robe and it was used as a blanket and he took a nap. I don't know how you get covering your feet uh, and taking a nap together, but that's one theory. The other theory is that he was indeed using the restroom. And so he went into this cave and he laid his robe down to the side and, and he was using the restroom. He was reposing and, 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 and taking care of business when he came in to the cave. Now, why did David see Saul in the cave, but Saul not see David? And, and these are all questions I've had through the years as I've, I've thought about this. Well, when you are coming from light into darkness, you do not see well, especially looking into the darkness. You ever been walking in a room and someone just shut all the lights out and was pitch black? 
your eyes are adjusting and you just can't see. And Saul's outside and and it's bright and and he comes into this cave. And if you've ever been in a cave, it's pitch black. He could not see more than just, uh, he probably couldn't even see his hand in front of his face. And so Saul, with his eyes not adjusted, could not see more than uh, a few inches from his face. But David, who had been in the cave for quite some time, his eyes were fully adjusted to the darkness and he's looking out toward the entrance. And so he's looking looking from the darkness into the light, and Saul comes walking in in his armor, and, and you can see the jewels in his armor. Saul was a tall, imposing man, and so David and his men knew right away that Saul was coming in the cave, but Saul had no idea that there was anyone else in there. Now, whether Saul was napping or um, uh, uh, reposing, defecating, uh, whatever the case was, he was vulnerable, and David's men saw that they had their chance to take Saul out, to quote someone from earlier today, amen, uh, to, to take care of him, all right, uh, to, take, to take care of business. He had a chance to eliminate Saul's life from being alive. And so uh, what, what were the progression of the ends from here? Notice letter A, evil counsel, evil counsel. David got some counsel from his 600 men whispering in his ear there in the cave. Look at verse 4, 1 Samuel 24 Verse 4, the Bible says, And the men of David said unto him, Behold the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. It is easy to see how these men could justify this sort of action toward David. They're saying to David, You got him right where you want him. He's right there. He's vulnerable. Whether he's going to the bathroom or sleeping, boy, now with one shot of that spear, he's hurled spears at you. One hurl of the spear, one uh, one shot of the sword, uh, straight to the heart, boy, he's done for good. Uh, You've done harder things, and, and God has brought him here to you. What was the counsel? The counsel was, you've already been anointed to be the next king. Uh, 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 God has made it clear that you are going to overcome, and so uh, Samuel prophesied of this. He predicted the kingdom being ripped away from Saul. David, you are the fulfillment of this prophecy. And, and, and listen, by the way, David, as men may have said, you did not start this conflict. He did. You're just going to Finish it, right? How many of you have ever heard counsel given to children? I don't think you should start fights in school, but if they start it, you finish it, right? Okay. How many of you have given counsel? No, no don't, don't, don't raise your hand on that one, okay? Um, uh, but uh, that, that, was, that could have easily been the mindset, right? Saul started the conflict. You're just... Finishing it. Um, David, uh, you are God's anointed and you are simply taking what God has promised you. And you can see how easily this could have been uh, rationalized by his men and justified by his men. Furthermore, please understand that these men are malnourished and tired after being forced to live in caves because of Saul's cruelty their reasoning would have been that much more skewed. Because when you're tired and hungry, you know everything is skewed. And uh, while this counsel lines up with man's reasoning, it was not in line with the heart of God. Now, please hear this. You're going to have people, when you get in tough spots, you're going to have people sometimes give you evil counsel. 
And that counsel is going to feel good to your flesh. That counsel is going to make sense to your head. If you don't walk with God and have His heart, there's a good chance you're going to follow through and make a mess of things. When you put in the time to read your Bible and pray and be faithful to church and and have a heart that's tender to God and and walking with God. By the way, if you have a consistent prayer life, uh, you should get your prayer life to a place where tears regularly come to your eyes. You have a tender heart toward the Lord. And and, and when you are there and someone gives you evil counsel in the heart of the moment, and and, and it tells us here, look at the end of verse 4. It says... uh, That thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Well, we've seen that phraseology before, right? The book of Judges, every man did that which is right in his own eyes. Look at the mess that came from that. David, this seems good to you. Uh, Go for it. Take him out. And David heard the counsel, and you know he must have been tempted. Letter A, evil counsel. Letter B, we see exceptional character. Exceptional character. Look back at verse 4. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy in thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Look at the end of the verse. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. Now, whether it was used as a blanket to cover Saul or it was laying off to the side, uh, David was able to sneak over to where this robe was and... Uh, cut off a small piece, cut off enough to hold in his hand as a flag of, of look what I have, look what, uh, look what I was able to do. We'll get to that part of the story here in a minute. What are we taking away from David here? David showed an incredible amount of self-control. An incredible amount of self-control. He had his enemy dead to right. He had every, uh, he had every justifiable, logical human reasoning to end Saul's life but, but David takes, takes a step back. He takes the high road. David shows exceptional character. Proverbs sixteen thirty two again says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Can you see how easy it would have been for Saul, David to get swept up in the moment and to end Saul's life? Uh, can you see how easy it would have been for his spirit to have already been sideways and this opportunity present itself and one rash moment would have messed up David's life royally uh, 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 for the rest of his life? Character is doing right even when you have every excuse available to you as why you should do wrong. Character is doing right even when you have every excuse available to you as to why you can do wrong. David's character paid off in the long run. Now watch this. Not only was the life of David not taken through mutiny, none of the rest of the kings of Judah would die by mutiny. You know why that was? David set the precedent. David said, I'm going to set the bar of character. I am not going to end that man's life. He is the Lord's anointed. God will take his life when the time is right. And that precedent was honored through the entire lineage of the kings of Judah. Uh, each time you choose sin, you reveal broken character. Each time this happens, you are inviting unintended consequences for both you and 
others. Imagine how this would have not only messed up David's life, but could have messed up the lives of many kings to follow him that were his descendants. Imagine how it would have messed up the lives of the 600 men who followed him, who had committed them. Imagine the repercussions, the ripple effect of the women who were married to those 600 men and the children who were born to those 600 men. You see, David's decision to show exceptional character paid off for generations of people to come and many, many generations of people who were there with him at that time. We need men and women who do right no matter the circumstances. We see David's temptation. Number two, notice David's conviction. David's conviction. David did not kill Saul, but David did cut the robe of Saul and upon Saul's uh, leaving of the cave, immediately David began to feel convicted over his action. Look with me at verse 5. Look at, with me at verse 5 of First Samuel chapter 24. The Bible says, And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him, because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. And while David is to be commended for not killing Saul, his own conscience condemned him for having even cut off a portion of his kingly robe. But why? Why did that bother the conscience? Why was he convicted over that action? Notice letter A. We see here it's painful symbolism. It's painful symbolism. You see, for Paul, for, for David rather, to have cut off the robe of Saul, there was a symbolism in that, and that symbolism uh, was very, very, very painful. Notice, and I've got uh, three thoughts that, that you can uh, jot down below that. Notice it humiliated Saul. It humiliated Saul. Look with, uh, turn, uh, hold your place there. Turn over to Second Samuel. Chapter 10. Let me show you what this meant culturally. David's action was not just some random action. This fit the culture. And, and those that lived in that culture knew exactly what this meant. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 10 and look at verse number 1 with me. 2 Samuel 10, 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died, and um, Hanun his son reigned and is said. Then said David, I will, David's king at this point, I will show kindness unto Hanun the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness unto me. And David sent to comfort him by the hand of his servants for his father. And David's servants came into the land of the children of Ammon. So the Ammonites are people akin to them and a ways off, and uh, their, their king dies, and uh, uh, the son is promoted. And David knows that this hurts, and so he sends comforters. And David's motive is pure, but his motives are not judged as pure. Look at verse 3. And the princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hanun their lord, Thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father, that he hath sent comforters unto thee? Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? So these men who come in, in, in a goodwill um, gesture to comfort the Ammonites are, are gathered together as spies. Verse 4, look how these spies are humiliated. It says, Wherefore Hanun took David's servants and shaved off uh, the one half of their beards and cut off their garments in the middle, even to their buttocks, and sent 
them away. They cut off their robes. They cut off their robes. This was a cultural way of embarrassing someone. So when David cut the robe of Saul, uh, David was humiliating the Lord's anointed. He was humiliating the king. And this is why it embarrassed him so. Isn't it interesting how that we reap what we sow? David cuts the robe of Saul... And then we see that's the reaping. We see the sowing in 2 Samuel 10 where David's men are embarrassed by the same gesture. You think, well, you know what? I did something and and, and I'm not feeling the immediate consequences. Wait. Just wait. God keeps score. And He'll make sure that what you've done in its own time is repaid. And that's both for good and bad. Galatians 6, 9 happens to be very true that you reap what you sow. So what was, why, why did this violate uh, the conscience of David? Uh, why was it a conviction to his heart? What was the symbolism of the cutting of the rope? It humiliated Saul. It reminded Saul. It reminded Saul. Uh, take your Bibles over to 1 Samuel 15. We were there this morning with Brother Lapina, Dr. Lapina. 1 Samuel 15, look at verse 26, and we'll read below where he was. And this was symbolic to Saul, the, 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 the cutting of the... Um, of the road. Look at verse 26. The Bible says, And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. So Samuel and Saul are having this confrontation we heard about this morning in the sermon. And, and so Samuel says, I'm not coming back. This is it. You won't see me anymore. Verse 27, And as Samuel turned about to go away, he, Saul, laid hold upon the skirt of the mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. When Saul realized that his robe had been torn, it no doubt, or or cut off, it no doubt reminded him that the kingdom just as Samuel had promised, would one day be torn from him and given to David. What was David doing by cutting the robe of Saul and keeping a piece of it? David, in essence, was saying, the kingdom is mine, and you know it. The kingdom is mine, and you know it. Oh, that story about Samuel's jacket, his coattail, being ripped off in the hands of Saul was well known and had been uh, spread around. Uh, David, being the son-in-law of the king, no doubt knew that story. And when he cut the robe of, of, of Saul, he was saying to him, don't forget, your days are numbered as king. Your family's days are numbered as king. It's going to be given to me. It's symbolism. It's painful symbolism. Not only did it humiliate Saul... Not only did it remind Saul, but it showed grace to Saul. The last thing that I see symbolized here is the grace of David towards Saul. Yes, the act humiliated him. Yes, the act even taunted him. But the act did not kill him. And David could have killed Saul. David had Saul dead to right, and he chose to show grace. He chose to show grace. We see the painful symbolism, letter B, we see David's personal standard. David's personal standard. And this comes back into this idea of loving your enemy because we have a heart for God. Take your Bibles over to 1 Peter chapter 2, if you would. 1 Peter 2, verse 13. Why was David convicted over this act? Why did David feel guilt in his conscience 
for having cut the robe of Saul. I've given that a lot of thought. Because, um, as I said, he could have killed him. And uh, he really let him off by only cutting off his robe. And as a third-party outsider looking at this, I don't really see that David did anything wrong. But this bothered the heart of David. Why? There was no scripture written that told us that we were to honor the king, as we'll see in a moment. But you know what David had? David had a heart that was in line with God's heart. David didn't need it to be written on paper. You know, you listening tonight? We're going to read 1 Peter 2 in a minute. Give me your attention up here. Listen to what I'm about to say. If God had to write every situation that would arise in your life on paper, the Bible would be too thick to read. Did you know that there are certain circumstances and situations, the way that you're going to navigate that and get through it is because you have a heart that's in line with God's heart. And because of that, you behave yourself wisely. You ever have a boss snap at you at work? You want to snap back, don't you? How do you behave yourself wisely? You have a heart that's in line with God's heart. You ever have someone be rude to you? At the store or in traffic or wherever it would be. How do you behave yourself wisely? You have a heart that's in line with your heart. You ever put in a situation where you don't know to choose between two goods? How do you know where to go? You have a heart that's in line with God's heart. Because David's heart was in line with God's heart. Not only did he not kill Saul, he felt guilty because he had humiliated his leader. Even though his leader was in the wrong. Look at 1 Peter 2 verse 13. This would be written thousands of years later, but this passage describes David's actions. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. First Peter 2.13 Whether it be to the king as supreme or in the governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence and uh, the ignorance of foolish men as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Look here, 17. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Honor the king. Why was David's conscience tore up over this? Because he had dishonored the king. He had dishonored the king. This, Listen, this was written thousands of years after David lived. But this was always the heart of God. And David knew it because he was a man after God's own heart. We see David's temptation. We see David's conviction. Let's move ahead. Number three, notice David's vindication. David's vindication. Look at verse 8. 1 Samuel 24. The Bible says, David also arose afterwards and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seekest thy hurt. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered thee today into mine hands in the cave, and some bade me kill thee, but 
Mine eye spared thee, and I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of the robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe, and killed thee not. Now know, know thou, and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand. And I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee. But mine hand shall not be upon thee. I say it the proverb of the agent, uh, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be Upon thee, after whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? David declares himself after a dead dog, after a flea. The Lord therefore be judge, and judge between me and thee, and see and plead my cause, and deliver me out of thine hand. Now this passage to me is amazing. You're talking about loving your enemy. Saul had given David no reasons to love him, and uh, none at all. Notice the type of language David uses toward King Saul in this passage. He, he says, he, he addresses Saul as, my lord the king. This is a man trying to kill him for no reason. He then says, my lord, and he calls him the Lord's anointed. Now, we see David's language toward Saul, but look at David's posture toward Saul. Verse 8 says that David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. Understand that David had been accused of much, falsely. His name had been drugged through the mud all across the very country where he was supposed to turn around and be king. How would David vindicate his own name if there was a poll taken on David's popularity it would have been lower than some current politicians in office. David was not popular. There was, a, there was a smear campaign going on everywhere. David's living out of a cave. He's a fugitive. Do you know the stress that puts on you? Have you ever been in a spot where you knew your name was being smeared and your character uh, your, it was being drugged through the mud falsely? Have you ever been in that spot and had to go to bed at night with just drama swirling in your head because of all of the falsities that are being said about you and, and, and you wake up every morning and, and, and the, that just looms over you everywhere you go? The stress, the anxiety, the heart, uh, the, the hurt in your heart that exists when you know that that your name is being drugged through the mud. And David kneels before the man who is generating all this. He, he bows before him. He shows him honor and respect. And David says to him, Listen, I'm not going to kill you. That's, that, would just, that would not vindicate me. That would prove you were right. No, David said, My vindication is this. My vindication is that I'm going to be gracious and loving Toward you, my enemy. By forgiving Saul. How was David's name vindicated? He forgave his enemy. He loved his enemy when his enemy did not deserve it. Many people throw stones at Christians. And I have to say, unfortunately, sometimes rightfully so. Christians can be nasty. Just nasty. I see Christians who get into name calling and mudslinging. Never let that be said of you. I've watched Christians who fall into sin and 
You know, unfortunately, I think sometimes Christians are one of the only groups that kick their own while they're down. What are we doing? What are we doing? God did not call us to, to, to show vengeance on our enemy. God called us to love those who've done us wrong. We see David's posture toward the king and David's praise of the king. What does David communicate to this man who has made himself his enemy? Letter A, David declares, the Lord will protect me. Turn over to Psalm 35. Psalm 35 was written, in my opinion, Psalm 35 was written while all of this was going on, right after this incident at Engedi, right after this incident of the cutting of the robe the first time. And uh, uh, David, uh, uh, David writes Psalm 35. And uh, we're not going to take the time to read the entire psalm tonight. We're going to look at the first eight verses here in point, uh, letter A and B. But if you read this and you go back and read 1 Samuel 24, I think it's pretty clear these two puzzle pieces fit, snap in together. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. David says, Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. Draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. You know, sometimes we may know in our head that God is our defense and our rock, but our heart or our soul Sometimes it just doesn't get it. I sat on my couch this afternoon and was catching my breath in between services and I had all sorts of emotions running through me from this morning. and Mostly good. We had that incident that happened today and, and there were some not good emotions running through me. And, and, and my, head, my head was trying to tell my heart how to feel. I just couldn't quite get the two to line up. Sometimes we have to say to the Lord, Lord, I know that You will protect me, but my heart needs You to remind it. My heart needs You to convince it that while that enemy over there is sling, uh, dragging my name through the mud, while that person over there is being malicious and, and maligning and trying to hurt me, Lord, I'm not going to defend myself because I know my character. I'm going to trust You to do it, and I need You to remind my heart that You will do it. David says in verse 3, Say unto my soul, I'm writing this on paper, I know it to be true, but I need you to remind me on an emotional level that you are my salvation. You are my defense. You are my protection. We're looking at this part of David's life and we're talking about how David is being refined by God as God is repairing him to be king. And, and this whole incident is part of the, God's refining fire working out of David, fear toward man, and, and bringing David to a place of full faith in God. He did not need to kill Saul out of self-defense because he had a promise from God that he was going to be Israel's next king Saul could not kill him as long as God was protecting him. David had come to full understanding of this. David did not need to kill Saul. This gave David the ability to show mercy and compassion towards Saul. Mercy and compassion. His hope, his help, his buckler, his protection was not himself was not a sword, was not a shield, was not a breastplate. His protection was God. 
Many of David's men were lying about, uh, rather many of Saul's men were lying about David. They were assuming David's motives. They were smearing his reputation. David was determined to let God be true and every man a liar. What else did David communicate to King Saul um, uh, here in these verses? We saw that David said to King Saul, he said, the Lord will protect me. But notice he also said, the Lord will punish you. The Lord will punish you. Go back to Psalm 35, look at verse 4. Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. Let them be as the chaff before the wind. And let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery. And let the angel of the Lord persecute them. For without cause have they hid uh, for me their net in a pit. Without cause, uh, which without cause they have digged for my soul. Let destruction come upon him at unawares. And uh, let his net uh, that he had uh, catch himself uh, into that very destruction let him fall. Again, David had the heart of God on the matter. David said, I don't need to punish my enemies because God will punish my enemies. We read back in 1 Samuel 24 how David said to Saul, God will seek my vengeance on you. God will be that vengeance. The idea of loving our enemies is complicated because when, uh, when we're commanded to love someone who's so mean and nasty to us, how do you do that? Especially if it's an active situation, right? I have uh, some people in my life who hurt me years ago, and I have no more contact with them. That chapter of my life, as far as I'm concerned, is closed. And, and, and I don't plan on reopening that chapter anytime soon. But uh, that, those chapters ended on a bad note. And I left those situations uh, on bad terms. And not because I wanted it to be that way, but it happened that way. And, and, and there's, uh, there's a, a feel of an enemy there between me and them. But sometimes you can be in a situation where your enemy lives in your very house. Or your enemy is your next door neighbor. Or your enemy is a co-worker or an employer. Your enemy is someone who sits on the other side of church. And uh, you can be in these situations. Situations where it's an ongoing thing and you say, well, I'm going to retaliate tit for tat, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And, the, and, and David instructs us here. David demonstrates for us here, no, you do not need to seek vengeance. It is God who will take care of defending you. It's God who will take care of punishing them. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. We know that verse. We, we all can quote that verse, or at least part of that verse. But do we actually practice it? Do we actually live it? Sometimes, and I want to just say this here, okay? Sometimes we think that, well, because I'm not matching their aggression, then I'm not doing anything wrong. Did you know that even being passive-aggressive and being nasty, being cold, being hard-hearted. You're trying to seek vengeance. The Lord's not pleased by that. David showed kindness and grace. We see, number one, David's temptation. Number two, David's conviction. Number three, David's vindication. Number four, lastly, notice David's affirmation. David's affirmation. How did King Saul respond to David showing him the cloth of the robe and 
How did King Saul respond to David having spared his life? Letter A, we see Saul's repentance. Saul's repentance. And what Saul is going to share with us here is really deep. And uh, if you don't get anything else from the message tonight, dial in right here under this sub point. I, I think this is my favorite part of the message. Look at verse Samuel 24. Look at verse 17. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. Thou hast showed this day how that thou hast dealt well with me, for as much as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good, for thou for that thou hast done unto me this day. And now behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Saul lays out for us three levels of living. Write these down. These are really good. Three levels of living. The first level is divine. Divine living. Divine. This is when we return good for evil. Good for evil. Did you know that if you're walking in your own strength, you cannot be kind to someone who's being nasty to you. You can't do it. The only way that you can really show love to someone who's nasty toward you is if you are walking with God. And God is channeling that love through you onto that person. Matthew five forty three. if you'd like, turn back over there. I'm going to read from 43 to 47. It says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemies. But I say unto thee, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now listen to this that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. When you show good in the face of someone's evil, that, my friend, is divine. You cannot do that unless you have a sincere, true Christian maturity, Christian character, and a a very developed and robust walk with God. When you develop those things, people can fling all the evil in the world at you, and it will be your nature to just love them. To just love them. To just love them. We see three levels of living Saul laid out for us. Uh, David, uh, Saul said of David, you have given good to my evil. The second we see is human. human uh, three levels of living. Human living would be returning good for good. Good for good. Uh, for if ye love them which love you, Matthew five forty six. If ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Good for good. This is the idea that I'm going to be kind to those who are kind to me. I'm going to love those who love me. As long as you're real nice to me, I'm going to be real nice to you. Listen, anybody can do that. That doesn't take any real effort, does it? Um, I, I'll give you a really quick example of this. Christmas cards. Right? We get Christmas cards in the mail, and uh, we, we mail out a bunch of Christmas cards. We obviously send one to the whole church family. We've got a list of other people we send them to. Sometimes we'll create a Christmas card from someone we haven't thought of in years. And I'll think, oh, man, we didn't send them a card. Next year, we've got to get them on the list. You know what we're doing? We're returning good for their good. Good for their good, right? Anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. The lost can do that. The saved can do it, right? 
But we see another type of living in this world, which is very becoming more and more prevalent. And is honestly, it's if you're not letting God protect you, it, it, it's fear. It, it can strike fear in your heart, and that's that's where Saul was. This is where Saul admits to his living, and this is demonic, demonic living. This is when we return evil for good, evil for good. So David had been nothing but good to Saul. But Saul could do nothing but be evil to David. I see, I see people in this world. Uh, I see things on the news occasionally. I see um, uh, instances where uh, people are good-hearted folk doing a good work, and yet they get attacked. They get attacked. How can you be so evil to someone who is so good? And I'm left to think, what, what's going on here? And then I understand, this is the power of Satan at work in the background culture. Look at Matthew chapter 5 verse 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. The running down of Christians who are just simply trying to love God and love others. The tearing down of church culture. The tearing down of the position of the man of God who stands up and preach truth and the attacking and discrediting and what is that? What what is that that permeates our culture? It's Satan, it's evil trying to take out good. We live in the last days where good is called evil and evil is called good, and evil is imposed on those who are trying to live for Christ. The next time that someone's being evil to you in the face of your goodness, understand this is just simply spiritual war. And you don't fight spiritual war in the power of the flesh. You fight spiritual war by walking with God. You fight demonic living with divine living. You fight demonic living with divine living. Someone's being evil to you, you be good back. Someone's being evil back, you continue to be good. You heap hot coals of kindness upon their head. You love them and love them and love them. And listen, don't worry about the results. There have been plenty of people in my life, I've done nothing but be kind, be kind, be kind, and the kinder I am, the nastier they get. And sometimes I want to throw my hands up and say, well, then I'm just done being kind. But I'm not called to be done being kind. I'm called to continue to love with a divine level of living. It's not about whether or not they change. I'm not going to stand before God and answer for the actions of my enemies. You all with me tonight? I'm going to stand before God and answer for my actions. If they're not nice to me, that's between them and God. But if I'm not nice to them, that's between me and God. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to be reactive to the way they're behaving. I'm going to treat them with a divine level of living. At least that's my heart. That's my desire. Let's finish out with letter B. Notice we saw Saul's repentance. Notice David's righteousness. Saul has a big ask of David. Really a stretch ask. Something Saul should not be asking after he's tried to hunt David down and kill him. Look at verse 21. We're almost done. Look here. Swear, Saul says to David, Swear now therefore unto me by the Lord that thou will not cut off my seed after me and that thou will not destroy my name out of my father's house. Saul's trying to kill David and Saul says to David, All right, all right, all right, it's a truce. I'm not going to hunt you out down anymore. 
which we're going to see he is going to hunt David down again. But he claims he won't. And then he says, when you become king, will you not wipe out my name? Will you not wipe out my household? This was standard practice back in that day. Look at David's response in verse 22. And David swear unto Saul. Wow. Saul says, will you be kind to my descendants? And David says, I promise I'll be kind. I'll continue to love with a divine level of living. And Saul went home, but David and his men got them unto the hold. David made a promise that he would be kind to Saul's family once he became king. This was not the custom. This was not deserved. But David showed kindness and love to the man who had chosen to be his enemies. Please hear what I'm about to say, because this is so important. David was tender-hearted towards Saul, but he did not trust him. You see, David stayed in the hold. David stayed in hiding. He was tender-hearted, but he did not trust him. And while David was loving of Saul, he didn't trust him. You see, forgiveness cannot be earned. It can only be given. Your enemies hurt you, they can't earn your forgiveness. You have to give that. You have to choose to forgive people that have wronged you. There's nothing they can do to earn it. And you choosing not to forgive your enemy is only hurting you. They're not missing a wink of sleep over your unforgiveness in your heart. Now, I'm speaking from experience right here. You have to forgive. You say, Pastor, it's so easy for you to say that. It's so hard for me to practice it. Listen to me tonight. I understand that sentiment because I have preached forgiveness, gone through great hurt, and then struggled to forgive. I know it's a whole lot harder to practice than to preach, but you must learn to forgive those that have wronged you. You must learn to forgive those that are currently wronging you. You must learn how to do it. But please don't conflate forgiveness with trust because they're two totally different. Forgiveness is given. Trust must be earned. And David never trusted Saul the rest of his life. Never trusted him. He forgave him. But he didn't trust him. Trust must be earned. He stayed in the hold. We're commanded to love our enemies. Who are your enemies? Did God bring a name or a face to your mind tonight? I know He brought some to my mind tonight as I was putting this together. Let me ask you a question. Are you loving them? May the Spirit of God work in each of our hearts and lead us to obey Him in this endeavor of loving our enemies. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, tonight, would you put your hand, into your finger into our hearts and point out those areas where we need to get some things right. Maybe it's stepping up from a human level of loving to a divine level of loving. Maybe it's choosing to give you vengeance and releasing our right to punish others. Maybe it's making a commitment to forgive. But God, tonight would you work in each of us. Some of us here tonight may not have an enemy currently. Help us tonight to set principles in place in our heart. A plan of action in place in our heart that when that day comes, we'll be ready to act according to your heart and not according to our human reasoning. 
Lord God, guide this invitation time. Lord, lead us. Help us. In Jesus' name.